Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. How can I save my parents' marriage? Some people told me they were so scared to put up the poster of this sermon on their statuses because of their parents looking at it and all of that. Look, it is a very sensitive topic. Um, some people even ask, is it really possible? I'm going to try and dissect all of that as quickly as I can. But I want to start this way and I want to remind every single person because I don't know where you've been, been I don't know what you've experienced, I don't know what your background and, and all that you've gone through has been, but I want to remind you that marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. It always has and always will be. It's always been God's idea. Marriage is what God instituted from the very beginning. And, and one thing that he said when he saw man, not that he, he didn't know about it, he wanted man to come to that realization as well. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs someone. He needs companionship. And so marriage was designed for that, for companionship. And as we go on, we realize that, look, the, the companionship started to form families. It was to build family units. Um, we saw that these people needed to be vulnerably transparent with each other, Adam and Eve. Uh, it, it's to be between one man and one woman. It was designed to stand the test of time and pressure and not just crumble at the fall of man. And because they fell, Adam says, you know, woman, get out of my life. And the woman says, I don't need you. I don't need you. Big, you know, small girl, big God. And then go their separate ways after the fall. But no, they stay together. Marriage was supposed to represent a long-lasting commitment to one another. It, it, and it takes mutual work to build a marriage to last. But one important thing that many people forget about marriage is this. The actual mystery of marriage is seen in this scripture. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 25 first and then verse 31 to verse 32. So open your Bibles with me. Open your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5. I hope you're ready to learn. There's so much I'll be sharing, but I need you to absorb it as quickly as you can. Ephesians 5 from verse 25. I'm going to read it quickly. It says this. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. I remember having a conversation with someone um, who was having a tough time in his marriage. And he was, I don't know what to do, man. I, I have no clue. I, I, I know I'm not doing my best. I know that it's, it's, it's so hard. But, man, I, I'm tired of this marriage. And I asked him, I said, do you love your wife? Do you love your wife? Do you love your wife? And, and when I asked him, I'm, I wasn't talking about, do you feel emotions of love? I, I wasn't asking, do you feel butterflies in your belly? And all those things are great. I promise you, butterflies are nice. The warmth you feel, it's beautiful. But they are only a byproduct of what love really is. I asked him, do you love your wife? And when I say love, this was the description I had. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. How did he express his love? By saying, I love you guys. Oh, come here. Give me a big hug, guys. I love you guys. Peace. I got you guys. 
That would have been cool, by the way. I feel like Jesus is so cool he could do that. But he did a greater demonstration of love. He, he, he showed us what real love actually is. He gave himself for the church. He sacrificed. It wasn't in getting. It was in giving. I asked him, have you loved your wife so much so you're willing to give your life for her, regardless of how you felt? No one says, I want to die. Yay! We, we even saw firsthand the struggles that our Lord went through, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even though he loved us, he had those feelings of fear and anxiety when he, comes, when he came to, to dying on the cross. Because it's a scary thing to do, to lose one life for, for someone else. But that is the expectation of love within a marriage situation. Look at verse 31. Now, Paul unpacks this for us. We've been so blinded. Many people have no clue what marriage is supposed to be about. And, and Paul helps us. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, he's quoting Genesis chapter 2, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's such a mystery that two people become one. It's crazy. In verse 32, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Marriage was a symbol, it was a picture, it was a mirror reflecting the union that would happen between Christ and his church. The love relationship, the love sacrifice relationship that exists there. That oneness, that unity. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. But the thing about love, you know, that I've seen over time, and maybe you've seen it yourself, is that love starts out sweet. It starts out beautiful. It's something you ache for. It's something you say, oh, God, when? My turn. Oh, God, help me. I'm not a biscuit. You've prayed. You've desired. You've watched your K-dramas. You've, you've wanted love all your life. But love so sweet. It, you know, love is such a manipulated force, easily manipulated, such that something so sweet can become so bitter in one moment's breath. That's how love is. It can be flipped over on its head. And I've seen people who have loved each other so dearly just become the worst of enemies. You've seen it, especially when breakfast is served. <laughs> You've seen some couples who loved each other, and when things didn't work out, they broke up with each other, and before you knew it, it was just this hatred, this antagonism, this malice. And sadly, this is what happens in a lot of marriages. I believe for sure, to be honest, I really believe this, that, that when the purpose of a thing, as, as Dr. Miles Moreau of Blessed Memory, he, he said that when the purpose of a thing is not known, when it's not understood, abuse is inevitable. Abuse is inevitable. When you don't understand what something was designed for, you would abuse it or you will misuse it. I believe that. And I believe many people have done this with marriage. Marriage, if, if people understood what it takes to be a married man or a married you will not rush. <laughs> you will not rush it. You will take your time. This one, I will not rush it. You will know. Because marriage needs to be understood. The core essence of marriage. The fact that the two people who are going to say, I want to be one in this relationship, must have an understanding of what honor and love is in a relationship. They must understand it at the level of Christ. 
Because if not, what will happen is you will just go on feelings alone. You forget the covenant. You go on, on, on how you, you, you perceive things per time versus the commitment that was made. And God will not have us do that. God will have us have successful marriages. Can you say that to yourself? God will have me be successful in marriage. If people really understood what marriage was designed for, they won't rush. Look, do you realize that 50% and the number is rising, I think since COVID, when people had to stay in the same space with each other. I mean, they could have arranged it. Maybe the husband was always traveling. The wife was always maybe at home or it was the other way around. The wife was always traveling. The husband was always at home working from home or whatever. And then COVID happened. And these guys had to stay in the same space, breathe the same air, look at each other. I mean, oh my goodness. The things I read that period was crazy and very heart-wrenching. But this is the reality. About 50%, and the numbers are increasing. Maybe it's a 55 now. 55, there are about percent of marriages end in divorce. And second marriages, I think the percentage is about 70% or more. So, guys, look, <laughs> and, and let me tell you, divorce, and, and, and I mean no disrespect to anyone who's been divorced or you know someone, divorce, divorce can destroy a person. I am not joking. Because when you, when you talk about divorce, you're talking about two things that you stuck together and you ripped them apart. They were once one and you ripped them apart. Man, what happens when you have two pieces of paper stuck together and you try to separate them? It's the, at least one of the pieces of paper will not be whole anymore, right? Divorce will never leave you the same. There's nothing you can tell me. It, it, not just emotionally, not just physically. It just, it just changes everything. And, and the reason why I'm saying this is this. Look, if there's a marriage that has issues and needs to be worked on, I think divorce should be, if anything, if it's even an option, the very last option. But everything that can be exhausted in saving such a marriage that is experiencing the difficulty, all those options need to be exhausted, I'm telling you. Because if divorce happens, oh my goodness. And maybe you've even been in a family where you grew up and you, you experienced that. Your parents actually divorced. They were not just separated, they actually divorced. And, and that did something to you. You know what it is. It, it doesn't just affect the marriage couple. It affects everyone in the family. It does. And that's why we're here. If there's anything I can try to do with this teaching, is at least give you some hope and also give you some tools to use to exhaust all these options and hope, in hopes that this marriage does not fail or end in, in a divorce. I'm just going to put this disclaimer out there. Look, I know this is a very sensitive teaching. Maybe you're going through this and you need this. I, I want to empathize with you. I want to tell you, look, I'm so sorry for what you have to go through and all you have to witness and the things you have to hear. And especially if you're in a place where you feel like you are the cause and you're the reason for what is happening. I don't believe that you are. And I don't know what your case is, but I don't believe that you are the cause of what's happening within a man and a woman's marriage. It's their business. It's their thing. And it's not your fault. You're not the problem child. I don't, want you, I don't want you to think that way if you do. I empathize with you. I realize this is sensitive, but I want you to chin up, have hope again. I really want you to. And I want to just remind you that the things I'll say, they're not feel safe. They're not guaranteed, but they can help. Praise the name of Jesus. Let me just address some of the causes 
of a troubled marriage, a cause of, of marriages that are shaky, that, that start to you know, hang by a thread. I want to just list some of these causes. I want to expose it so that when you look at the, the, the situation, you can easily identify, this is the problem here. And it's, it's non-exhaustive, but I'm just going to highlight a few things that I believe, look, if you're going to talk about problems within a marriage, it's one of these things. It's either one of these things. Number one, number one, unresolved baggage. And the first thing I'll say on this unresolved baggage is this. Look, guys, <laughs> there are people that actually think that when you walk into a marriage, um, that somehow there's some elixir that hovers around the you know, the, the wedding decorations, you know, as you're doing the party, you just enter, hey, after you do your, your first time dance, you know, the, the decorations are there. They now do smoke. You think the smoke is cleansing away all your sins and your baggage is, oh, and you just, you know, do honeymoon, all is brand new and bright and beautiful. <laughs> marriage does not, marriage does not change people. It doesn't have the power to, it only unveils them. Marriage does not change people, it unveils them. It exposes the real you. So maybe I've seen you in types and shadows, but now revelation will come. I hope you understand. That is marriage. And I, I can speak to this because even in our relationship, we've known each other for a long time. We've loved each other. We've been always honest and vulnerable. But when you start to live with one another, when you start to see yourselves at your weakest, at your strongest, at your ugliest, at your best. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, sosh. Um, that was that was tongues, by the way. It, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing altogether. Um, let me be honest. But let me tell you, it only exposes who you really were from the onset. And many people walk into relationships without resolving these baggages. And what are some of these baggages? Some people, it's promiscuity. Promiscuity. You... You want to tell me, and, and this is the problem. You saw those red flags. You saw the red flags, but you carried yourself with those emotions and entered the red flag. You, you, <laughs> it was a red sea. You swam inside. Look, you cannot tell me that someone who has had a past of cheating and being a playboy and, and sleeping around women consecutively, even when you were dating, you knew, you found out. And maybe you said, look, he promised he will never do it again. And look, this happens both ways. Maybe this is also the lady who has slept with people and she says, this is the final one. Look, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. And, and maybe it was not even when you were in a relationship. Maybe it wasn't, even, it wasn't even cheating. She was just sleeping around casually. You cannot tell me that now she's in a relationship that habit of casually sleeping around just stops automatically. And this does not discredit people who have had that kind of past. Don't get me wrong. But there has to be something. There has to be a track record of doing better. Do you understand? There has to be a track record of, of faithfulness, of purity. There has to be. Because if you see that happen and you say, look, don't worry, they'll change. Once they see me in their life, I'll change their life. I'll be the best partner. They won't need anyone else. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Oh. I think recent times you can start. Look, if you see someone who is actively cheating or sleeping around, it, the, many times you can point to some unresolved baggages in their past life, things they did not deal with. Another thing that's unresolved many times is addictions. 
Maybe it's a drug addiction or a gambling addiction or a porn addiction. These things can be problematic. If you have a husband who or a wife who has been gambling and there's people who just take all their resources, gamble, risk it all, and you know, they go broke, look, if that person was addicted to that, expect it to happen in the marriage. Expect it. There's some things, there's some behaviors you can easily predict. This will continue. Do you understand? If someone was, you know, you know, addicted to drugs and they've not gone through a rehabilitation to get better, it's going to creep in the, into the relationship. It's going to mess up. And maybe you two will join him in that act. So you need to, you need to remember that, look, this is, this is some of the reasons why people have issues in their marriages. Unresolved baggage. It could be aggression. It could be someone who has always been beat. <laughs> no, he, he only just slapped me once and, and he was just upset. I mean, people get upset. Hey, that's how it starts. It starts from slap to punch newspaper. <laughs> oh boy, I've seen things and it's sad. It's sad to say. But you've seen those moments where this person, there was conflict You've seen how they handled it. They punched a wall, broke something, maybe even punched you. And you, no, come on, don't do that to yourself. The, see, unresolved baggage can be resolved. But you cannot have a working marriage and relationship unless those things are actually resolved. So I'm not saying everyone who has unresolved baggage is a failure. They are doomed to fail. No, no, no. They just need to work on those baggages. Drop the baggages. You can't, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't. And then another thing is insecurities, insecurities. I remember, you know, talking to a, a young lady and she was just telling me about the stress she's going through in her family. And, and it was her mom. Her mom was the problem. Her mom was the problem. Her mom picks on her, talks down to her, trash talks her, you know, says all sorts of things. Why? found out that this woman was insecure about her beauty and about her place in the family. She was threatened by her daughter's beauty. Can you imagine that? Because every time, daddy's girl. And she felt so insecure that her own daughter was taking her place in the... I'm like, how do you think like that? And it comes to this, insecurities. Your self-esteem is crumbled and so you're taking it out on other people. Maybe even on your husband. Maybe you, you've had an insecurity in your past where you were cheated on and your husband is trying to be faithful, but you don't trust him. You're checking his phone 24-7. You are checking his chats. You're monitoring his movement, movement everywhere to and fro. It, it cannot work. These are baggage that need to be resolved before you enter a marriage. Number two problem I see is pride. Pride. Oh, no, no. This one... This one is, is just, it's a fundamental bedrock to a, a failing marriage. When there's pride, where the people in the relationship cannot take correction, where they are not teachable. You cannot have a marriage where people are not teachable because what will happen is you will make mistakes. Both of you will make mistakes. There'll be errors and guess what? There'll be correction. And if you cannot take the correction, if you cannot own up to your mistakes and take responsibility for your actions, you all just have a game of trading, trading the blame. That's what's going to happen. It's just a blame game. You're going to trade it. It's you. It's you. It's you. You. You are the problem. It's you. You just trade it all the time, and and a relationship cannot work that way. Where pride goes before what? It fall. That marriage will fall. In a marriage where you are able to swallow your ego, swallow your pride, and say, "Look, I messed up." 
I actually did mess up and I'm sorry. That changes the game. God exalts the humble. He, he resists the proud. He does. He does. And, and in a marriage situation where both people are prideful, oh, it's going to be a mess. Even if it's one person, it's going to be a mess. And these are some of the causes of it. Number three, wrong association. I'm saying this so that it, it helps sharpen your discernment. In a case where you see a marriage that is not working and you want to find out what exactly is the problem, because if you want to solve a, a thing, it helps for you to know what the problem is before you can solve it. Make sense? Just like now, we're still trying to find the problem of this stream. But when you know the problem, it helps you know what solution to give, right? That's why we're doing this. Number three, wrong association. Look, if the people you keep with you, your friends and family, if they are the wrong influence, your marriage is in trouble. It's at risk of being in trouble, let me put it that way. Think about it. I mean, this is a real life situation, real life story. Imagine a lady talking to her female friends, and they were just gisting over, you know, lunch. They were talking, you know, and they were talking about the marriage and everything. And, they were, and she was just talking about the finances of marriage. That oh, in the family, you know, in the house, you know, my husband he pays the rent, um, and what I do is I I take care of some of the school fees of the children. I pay some of the utilities. I do this. I do that. And the friend was like, eh? You, you, wait, wait, wait. Go back. Go back. School. School. What? You, you're paying school fees. Why are you suffering? This is off ahead. So you mean your husband cannot? Well, you know now, like he's working, but still, like it's not like he's working and earning too much. I'm also working, so I can contribute. Baby gear, baby gear. Your mates, your mates are collecting. Not just uh, they are not just having school fees paid for, rent paid for by the man. They are even getting allowance on top. You are doing stuff ahead. And she's saying, no, stop now. It's, I just want to contribute. It's fine. Like, I'm okay with it. But a seed has been sown. And she goes back and she starts to think, ah, wait, though. Do I have two heads? I mean, do they have two heads? I beg your pardon. That me, I'm handling school fees. Uh, I'm paying the some of the bills. My husband is just handling rent. Is he really a man? And, and those thoughts start to come. And before you know it, look, I, that, that's a real story. And then, then trouble started. Trouble started because of that. Because of influence. Think about it, guys. Just think about it. If you had a quarrel with someone, how many of you have had a quarrel with just a friend, right? Or you had an, you know, an issue. Maybe the person, um, for example, snubbed you, right? The person snubbed you and you took offense, you know, and the person said, no, I'm sorry, I didn't do that. I didn't snub you. And you spoke to your friends about it and said, ah, think, think about it. There are two friends. Think of friend A. Friend A says, ah, <laughs> is it not the Kunle? Kunle is like that. He's a snob. We know. We know that guy. Please don't even don't listen to him. He's a that guy doesn't have sense. That's friend A. And friend B tells you, I don't know. Maybe he was going through something. Maybe he was distracted. Look, just give him the benefit of the doubt. It's okay, right? It happens. What happens with friend A when you see this person next time? How would you react? You, you would snub back. You would do your own back. You just, and you don't know this, whether this person is going through a tough time or not. But with, with friend B's advice, what happens? You go and approach this person and say, look, Kunle, are you actually fine? Are you okay? And the last time I, I called you, but you, you seemed like you snubbed me. Are you okay? It feels like, and then you might find, get an answer. But just having those two different kinds of friends literally determines the outcome 
of that relationship that you have with Kunle. Do you understand what I'm saying? The same thing applies with family members. Ha. Huh. Guys, just, just, just free advice. <laughs> yeah, just free advice. Keep your family members at bay from your bay. Ah, uh, you, you, you got it, right? You, you got it. Just sprinkles, you know? Mm. <laughs> Be, listen. See, if there's anything I'm enjoying now in my marriage, and it's as, as short as it's been, is that as much as my parents are amazing people and my, and my parents-in-law, they are awesome and they like to mind their businesses, which is great. But at the same time, we've put that boundary as well. Extended family, friends, mm -mm. not in our space, not in our business. If we have issues, we resolve it. We're not going to start airing debts. No, 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 no. See, family drama. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Be careful. So wrong association can be a cause. So it could be the people that are speaking. And many times when you look at it, you, there's a friend who is fueling that fire, who is pouring kerosene, saying, no, your husband must learn. Uh -uh. Your husband must learn. And I want that guy, your wife. And your wife, she no not get sense. I bet, guy. You need to show her. You need to teach her a lesson. Do you understand? The friendship, association matters when it comes to relationships. I'm telling you. I am telling you. Number four. Financial troubles. This, this one is a category of its own. When there are financial troubles in a marriage, there's trouble in the marriage. Just know that. Especially if both parties are irresponsible and they're not able to find a way to resolve those financial challenges. Look, if you think, if you're ever in a case where you're questioning, should I enter a marriage? Ask yourself the question, are you financially able to fund the marriage? I mean, both parties, both the man and the woman. Don't rush into it if you don't have some sort of financial stability. I'm telling you now. I'm not saying have billions in your account, but just enough to get you guys going. If you don't have that, uh, <laughs> you know, someone asked the question. I, I saw a meme. Someone said, if you stop working and all, all you had is the account, the amount in your account balance now, how long would it take for you? How long will you have to live a comfortable life? Someone said 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, if that's your case, if you should stop working and all you have is your bank account, is all you have forever. How long would that sustain you? If it's 30 minutes, you cannot marry. If it's two days, you cannot marry. If it's one month, you cannot marry. So this is very important. A lot of families are, are being broken apart, sadly, because of money. Because of money, as small as that, I think, as that thing is, it's, it's destroying families, sadly. And number five, value incompatibility. Value incompatibility. Uh, this is a case where, from the onset, a Christian is marrying a Muslim, and they thought it was not a problem at first. Or a Christian is marrying an atheist. It's not an issue. I respect what you believe. It's all about inclusivity, no discrimination. Okay, no. <laughs> By the time some boxes start to open, you'll be like, what on earth? Who did I marry? Because what you believe determines who you are. I hope you know that. So if a person does not have some critical values in their belief system, it will never gel with yours if it's different. And so a lot of people go into marriage, they don't even know what this person believes about raising children. Imagine a family, imagine someone getting married, and after marriage, that's when they start to have conversations. How many children do you want? And the man says, I don't want any children. Ha. Or you enter the marriage and say, I'm going to church. Nobody in my family will go to church. 
I will not go to church, you will not go to church. These are things that are happening. These are things that are happening, guys. So when, when you think about the issues people have married, it really doesn't pass these guys. What's number one? Do you remember? Number one is what? Unresolved. Very good. Unresolved baggages. Number two is what? Pride. Number three is what? Wrong association. Number four is what? Financial troubles. And number five is value incompatibility. You have different values and beliefs about different things, right? But let me make this disclaimer as we're about to approach what can you actually do. I know many of you feel handicapped. You are, you're witnessing your parents' marriage crumble. It's a concern. It keeps you up at night. It sometimes even leads to depression. You're like, what can I do? As we're approaching this, I want to make a very big disclaimer here. A very big one. Are you ready for it? <laughs> you cannot change anyone unless they're a baby. <laughs> like changing their diapers. You cannot change anyone unless they're a baby. That's the truth. You cannot change any human being. You can't just wake up and say, I'll change him. And that's what a lot of people have done when they're entering relationships. He's not there yet, but he wants to grow. I can change him. Moshe, Deputy Holy Spirit, nice. You're doing well. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You cannot do that, especially when they don't want to change. So as much as you want to save their marriage, look, it's the same principle as salvation. As much as you want this person to be saved, you've preached, you've preached. If that person does not want to be saved, if they're in their rebellion and in their pride, there's nothing you can do. I hope you know that. Like God, even God who is almighty, all-powerful, has never forced anyone to believe in the gospel. Never. People bring up the case of Paul. As an example, that God forced Paul to believe. Do you realize that Paul had a choice? Just because Paul was humble enough to realize the truth. Even though the, the vision appeared, he had a choice to still say no. He could be upset and say, ah, ah, so I'm blinded by the kind of God is this that blinds people. I don't want. Screw you. You, know, you understand? That could have gone the other way. But the point is this. God will never, even upon his resurrection, when he came to life, he didn't appear in this guy. ha, 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 ha. Pharisees, all of you, and all of you that were sad to see. Come and see, Sadducees, all of you. Come here! Come here! Bring, Michael, bring that cane. Flog all of you. <laughs> I, I would have done that. Let me, let's be honest, if I, were, if I were in his shoes, I would have done that. But he appeared only to those who already believed in him. God is such a perfect gentleman, he will never, he will never boycott a person's free will because when you take away the free will of a person, you cannot have love. When you command and enforce the love of a person, that is no longer love anymore. So I want you to remember this. Look, you cannot change your parents. You cannot. You don't have the ability to. And so at the same time, every effort you would make is dependent on one thing, that they are willing of their own to make those changes. If they've decided that this marriage oh, it will not work for whatever reason, sadly, guys, it's not going to work. It's called reprobacy in marriage. When you choose to say, look, in this marriage, I will not change. I don't even need you to change. Nothing is going to change. It will be like this. I don't care about it. That is reprobacy in marriage. Marital reprobacy, it's a thing. And I've seen a lot of people and parents who are like that. They, they're so used to the troubles. They just don't want anything. Just, just, just leave it. You can stay in the house, so I can stay in the house. I'll stay in my own side. You stay in your own side. Don't, don't let us cross. I've seen that happen, and it's crazy, guys. 
It's crazy. So that is the disclaimer I'm putting here. It, free will is a factor that you have to choose. It's a free will, sorry, it's a, free, it's, a, it's a factor you have to consider when, when trying to help people mend their relationships. If they don't want it to happen, it will not happen. So a good place to start is to help them, to convince them of the benefits, convince them of the reason for that marriage in the first place. And if there are people who are not even followers of Christ, they don't believe in Jesus, they're not saved, that's a whole other conversation. Sometimes that's a route that needs to happen so that God can work on their hearts for that to even change anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you have unbelieving parents, it's, it's harder for them to make something work out of it, except God convicts them by his spirit, saves them, and works on their heart. So that hardened heart starts to fall away, and they're teachable. They're able to love again, truly, because you can't love unless you've received love. So uh, these are things that you need to consider, but that's a disclaimer. If they're not ready, it's not going to work unless they're both willing uh, especially when both parties are willing to participate. And, and some scriptures on this, I'll just, I'll just share. Look at this. Galatians 5, verse 13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's saying, look, you're free to do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, just make sure you're not using that freedom for the things of the flesh, anger, pride, malice, all those things, but use it for love instead. So he's saying, look, you always have a choice to make no matter what, whether to obey the works of the flesh or yield the fruits of the spirit. Uh, another scripture, Philemon verse 1, verse 14. Uh, Philemon chapter 1, verse 14, I beg your pardon. Um, Paul is speaking here, and this is where he was trying to actually resolve a relationship that was tense and fractured. There was a fractious relationship between a guy called Onesimus and him. And so Paul was trying to mediate, and this is what is happening. He says, but look, without your consent, I did not want to do anything. Look, pay attention to this. Without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness will not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. So he said, I'm not trying to remediate this whole situation that is messy without your consent. Your, your free will is needed in this. Your participation your partnership with me is important for us to resolve this issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So same thing applies. If you're going to resolve a relationship that is fractious, what's going to happen is there has to be partnership. There has to be a willingness on both sides to make it work. A willingness on one side helps, but it never really helps unless both parties are involved. It takes two people to make a relationship. And so that's something I want you to know. They need to be emotionally invested in that, in that process, or else, look, sadly, it's, it's not going to work. But here's what you can do. Let's start. Now, now, this is the real core of the message. What can you do to save your parents' marriage? I put the disclaimer out there again. You're not the savior of your parents' marriage. Look, if left to me, it, it, I mean, I've heard this kind of advice a lot where people say, look, your parents' marriage is none of your business. I've heard people say that. Your parents' marriage is none of your business. To a large extent, I agree. Some people also say you're not the savior of your parents' marriage. And yes, I completely agree with that. But here you are, a bit handicapped, worried, anxious, feeling like you, are, you can't do anything. Maybe you even feel like you're the problem or contributing to the problem. I want to at least help you do something in the process because when, when there's a parental issue where the marriage is, is shaky, 
remember I said it doesn't just affect them, it affects everyone. And so my priority here is, is first to protect you and give you the tools that you need to somehow contribute to whatever can mend that broken thread and mend that relationship that is, is very uh, troubled. Number one, this is what I would advise you to do. Number one, protect your heart. Protect your heart. Protect your heart. Bible tells you that tells us that out of the heart comes what the, the issues of life. And so he says, as a result, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard your heart with all diligence, because out of it comes the issues of life. Look, maybe the problem that that you're experiencing and the reason why right now you're in a place where you don't have hope for good marriages anymore is because you're focusing on all the wrong marriages. I want to encourage you, stop thinking about all the wrong marriages around you. Focus on the good ones. <laughs> there are still faithful men and women out there. I hope you know that. There are many, and, and in my own personal life, from what I can see so far, as much as I know, beyond my 10 fingers, I can count faithful men and women that I know, people who have decided regardless of what the past may have looked like, but people who have decided that in this relationship I will be committed, I would uphold the sanctity of marriage and the purity therein, I will be faithful to one woman or I will be faithful to one, one man. I, I know people. They are good marriages. They are very, very good marriages, I'm telling you. But what the problem is this. You are on Twitter every day. You're on Instagram. You're, you're the one that goes to gossip centers and, and people who, who talk about, you know, all those confession groups and all those gossip centers. You are the first person. You're, you're, you're there. And even recent things that are happening, you know, I, I, I won't mention names, but you, you're hearing things, right? You're hearing things. This person cheating on that person. This person cheating. And you just think that these things are not having an influence in your heart especially when you know this is also happening with your parents. Be careful. Guard your heart. Protect yourself. They are good marriages. They are good marriages. You know, <laughs> I, saw, I saw something, um, I saw something uh, on, on, online, and, you know, there was a couple that was mentioned that uh, there were these rumors about cheating and infidelity happening, and someone said if this couple break up, I'll never believe in marriage again. <laughs> as Twitter, you know, as is in the nature of Twitter draggers, you know, this one commented and said, so what your parents are doing? Now skits, Abby. Now comedy skits, they, they do. <laughs> like, you know, it, the point is this, and this might not apply to you in this case, but there are good marriages out there that are actually working. And the problem is you only see celebrity marriages, sadly. Or very distinct cases of people that have very strange marriages. That's what you get to see. And what you hear, and people like bad news. They like to spread bad news faster than good news, sadly. Right? We, we see people have anniversaries and mark 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But we don't focus. We like to hear the one where they are cheating, where they are breaking up. Why? Be careful. Guard your heart. There are people celebrating 70 years married. 60, 50, 30, that should count. It should be celebrated. It should inspire hope in you. So to block, block, not all men are cheaters, not all women are to be feared. Change that mentality. Guard your heart with all diligence. And the second thing I'll say under this in, in protecting your heart is protect your heart also from your parents. 
Protect your heart also from your parents. The thing is this, your parents will be one of the greatest influences in your life. And I've seen a lot of people who carry the problems of their parents and have it continue in their life. You've heard people say, look, I, I don't know where this anger came from. I, I don't know, but my dad was always just angry with, his, with, with my mom. You always used to beat her. Maybe that's why I'm the way I am. Because your parents shape you in many ways. They're your first encounter of learning and education. So you need to also protect yourself from that situation. Guard your heart. Just because your parents' marriage is failing or having hitches doesn't mean yours will happen that way. It doesn't mean yours will fail. You can stand out. And, and look, I want to prophetically pray right now. Some of these things are beyond what the eyes can see. They are spiritually seeded. A lot of things, the devil has created patterns historically. And maybe if, if that's you, you've noticed that. That this is not normal. It's, it's a historical pattern in my family. It's known that every firstborn son will cheat on his wife. It's, it's just a pattern. The devil cannot get straight that thing. He can. And I want to just pray right now prophetically if you'll receive it. Father, in the name of Jesus, every family where demonic patterns have been established over the generations. And now it's trying to come down to these ones. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, it stops with their parents. It will not even come near them in the name of Jesus. I separate you from demonic patterns. In the name of Jesus, you will stand out as a light. You will be singled out in the name of Jesus. As a chosen generation and as a royal priesthood, you will stand out in the name of Jesus. Devil, I disrupt your plans over these families. In the name of Jesus, it will not stand. In the name of Jesus. Guys, you can break free. You don't have to follow the pattern of your parents. You can be different. You can be different. If people are, are being the first people to break the patterns of being the first ones to ever go to college in their family, you can do better in terms of your relationships as well. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I'll say this. Plan to marry well. Plan to marry well, guys. Plan to marry well. And this is why we have, you know, that se the series we have like in the month of February where you know, Love World, where we train you, arming you with all you need to make the right decisions. This is a period for you to learn what makes a marriage work. So this is all about protecting your heart. What does, what does it take to make a marriage relationship work? Arm yourself with the wisdom, with the tools to do that. Because, see, the greatest shaking in life that you can experience is marrying the wrong person. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm telling you. Of course, aside not receiving Jesus, the greatest shaking you can ever have in your life is marrying the wrong person. You, hey. <laughs> hey. Oh. Marrying the wrong person. Oh, my goodness. And that's why people say, I need my own boo. I need my own person. Relax. There's no, t there's no time telling you are too late. I'm telling you, take your time. Don't rush it, but arm yourself. Praise the name of Jesus. And look, we, we, we need to be that difference. We talked about this at, Apologet at the Apologetics Conference, Audacity, where there is a mountain of family, and we need to be influential in that mountain. We need to redefine what good, godly families look like in our generation. Our generation needs it. You might be the only example that some people can see of a good, working, functional family. And you can thrive on that mountain. 
But it depends on what you do with the resources that you have. It depends on how you arm yourself with the right wisdom and discernment to finding the right partner. But we must be the difference. Say, I will be the difference. My family will be the difference. We will shine as light in this dark world. Shout aloud, amen, if you believe it. Number two. So you've protected your heart from outside news and outside broken relationships and inside broken relationship. You're arming yourself with wisdom. You're protecting your heart. But number two, pray for them. Pray for your parents. Pray for your parents. Look, I, I know sometimes it feels like I have prayed and prayed and prayed. And there's a limit. I, I don't want to, I'm using this loosely. There's a limit to prayer. You can pray all you want, right? But if actions are not taken, imagine you saying, I want millions, Father, millions, and you don't work. Nothing will happen. It's a principle in life. It's not going to happen. No money will come to you, nothing. Same applies, but, but at the end of the day, you must be careful not to underestimate the power of prayer. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. Look, aside from what Philippians 4 tells us, that in a place where you are tempted to worry and panic, you, you could just spend your time being depressed and saddened by what is happening with your parents. But he says, be anxious for nothing. Ah, how insensitive you are, Paul. What do you mean I should not be anxious? I have every reason to be. Relax. Don't be anxious. There's better. There's something else you can do. By prayer and supplication, with thanks given for all that is good still in your life, make your request known to God. Tell God about this thing. He knows it hurts, but he wants you to talk to him. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will just flood your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. He didn't say that immediately you pray to change, but there will be peace. God will be involved. You've invited him to make it work, to, to resolve the issues. He gives you better. Don't worry. Pray. And at that time, one of Jesus' disciples by name of Peter, he was going to be tempted and he was going to leave his commitments to Jesus. And Jesus did something so special. Our Lord was so kind. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 32, he says this. And the Lord said to Peter, which is Simon, Simon, Simon. <laughs> and this was just before the crucifixion. Indeed, Satan has asked for you. And, and some theologians believe he was not just talking about Peter, but all the other disciples as a plural you. He has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But this is what he says. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned to me, you will strengthen your brethren. And that's exactly what happened. When Peter returned, his return, his repentance inspired them. It led them. Do you love me? He asked Peter, feed my sheep. And he did. He built the church significantly in the early days. But he prayed. The devil sought to what? To help, to make him, you know, stop and break his commitment to the Lord. That relationship he had with Jesus. There was a temptation and Jesus prayed against it. So even though there's a temptation to break away from the commitment of that relationship between your parents, Prayer can change things. Prayer can change desires. Prayer can, can work. Oh, my goodness. It, it, it can touch people. I know what prayer has done in my life, not just my own prayers for myself, but people's prayers for me. It's kept me grounded. It's helped my desires. It's helped me pray for them. 
pray for them. I, look, I, I can share a personal example of someone that I know, a, a former classmate of mine. Uh, you know, the, the, the marriage was, was, was crazy. Long story short, there was infidelity involved. There was, there was all this mess. There was a child out of wedlock from another woman, all of that. It was terrible. The woman just found out. This was like three years ago. She found out she was broken. She was torn. And they begged, they begged. The man was doing his own thing. And I told her, you know what? Let's take the time out and fast about it. Let's fast. So we took three days. We prayed. We fasted. And then we felt like we needed some more time. So we did some extra two days. We prayed and fasted. And something significantly happened the, uh, two, about two weeks after. This man came back to the house after work. You know, he left his office. That's how the story was. He left his office, came back to work, and wept like a baby in front of this woman. Cried. He wept. He cried, saying he's sorry. He's sorry. He's sorry. And a few days after, bought this woman a car. Told her, look, I've, I've been using all my resources for other women. I've, for that other woman, I've messed up. I've not taken care of you. I want to do better. Bought her a car, you know. Of course, that didn't solve everything, but there was a change. Something had happened with this man. He said he had an encounter that he had dreams that troubled him, angelic visitations in his dream troubling him that he was wrong, and he was corrected. And last I checked, I checked on this uh, young lady about maybe three to four weeks ago. The story is still the same. He's, I don't know what he does in secret. I, I, I can't tell. But from what we can see surface level, he's done better. Their relationship is, is, is getting back to, to where it is. She forgave him for cheating. And their relationship is going back to what it is. Do you understand? Like, prayer can change things. And of course, I'm, I'm not going to excuse this. This is the thing. You know, this is, this is where the issue is. When you pray, like I said, prayer has its limits. So praying can stop someone in their tracks, in their tracks, right? It can tr stop someone in their tracks, um, but the word of God rightly taught steers the person in the right direction. So you can stop someone, someone can realize they are wrong, but guess what? If there's no proper correction and teaching and discipleship done easily, and when they're not accountable, they will fall back again. It almost is the case many times. Are you, are you with me? So yes, they are prayed for. That's one level, one step. But you know, beyond that, they need some counseling. They need some guidance, and and, and that's going to take us to another point I'm going to uh, raise later on. But remember that prayer can stop you in the tracks, but the word of God, rightly taught, steers you in the right direction, uh, and that's what it is. But prayer still works, guys. Prayer still works. It works. I've seen it. It works. Pray for them. Number three, one thing you can do is this. And, and look, every family is different. But number three, stand with a clear victim. Stand with a clear victim. And I'll explain what I mean. Uh, I'm basically just saying your support goes the long way. If there's a relationship, you know, your parents' marriage, it's clear who the victim is and who the offender is, the perpetrator. Um, if you can, stand with the victim. I'm not telling you go and antagonize the offender, no. And shout and make things worse. It's going to make things worse. Don't do it. I'll give you a scenario. I'll just give you a scenario. So your dad 
has messed up, he's, he's arrogant, he's aggressive, he's abusive verbally and maybe even physically to your mom. And she's trying to be a good wife. She cooks, she, she cleans, she, she sacrifices, she even gives him money. I'm, I'm painting that picture now. But he, he's ungrateful, he's aggressive, he's just a mess as a, as, a, as a husband, right? If that is the case, as much as you can, go and, and, and this is only if you have access to this information. This is only if you have that kind of relationship even with your mom or with your dad, whoever is the victim in this case. If you do have that access, and I've seen this happen a lot of times, there is that access, you say, mom, look, I'm here if you ever want to talk about this and I'm praying for you and you are not the problem. I see these things and I'm standing with you. You have my support. And look, I've seen that happen to preserve the life of a mom, a woman who was about to take her life. She was about to take that rat poison, this sniper. She was going to end it all. But the support of her son, and her son was, what, 16 years old at the time. It's a real-life story. Stood with this woman, prayed with her every night, showed support, bought her gifts, tried to bridge that gap that, that was created with, with, with the father. And this woman, it, she, she, her testament was that boy saved her. He literally saved her life because she was going to take her life. He saved her. It, it meant a lot. And look, I'm not saying this works in every family, in every relationship. There might be some enmity with you, or with your parents, for whatever reason. Maybe there's just some bent-up anger. I know. But if there's a clear victim, stand to support that person. Be there. Be present. Be there for them. I, I'm telling you, God will reward you for that. Right? Don't go antagonizing right, the, the other person, but protagonize this person, support them. And there might be a case where there's no clear victim, and many times it's like that, because when you make, when you offend someone, you have the tendency to create offense with that person. Do you understand? Like, when you offend someone, you can cause them to be offensive in themselves, in retaliation. I've seen people where the, the woman was just on her own, she was not trying to look for any trouble, but because you've been, so, you've been so abusive and hurtful, she just retaliated, and now it feels like both people are hurting each other um, consecutively. But whatever the case is, whoever needs your support the most, let me put it that way, you know they need your support emotionally and spiritually. Be there for them, is what I'm trying to say. Do, do you understand that point? Yes. Okay, number four. <laughs> number four recommend or help in arranging couples therapy couples therapy if you have a way to arrange this somehow please do and remember like i said for therapy to ever work you need free will you need consent they should both be willing to do this right they should both be at least open to the possibility of doing this if there's a way it can be arranged if you can if you have access to talk to one or, or both of them in that way, find a way, if you can, to make this happen. I think in Africa, we stigmatize um, therapy so much, even especially with African men. African men that are going through it, going through a lot, and all they are told is shake it off, be a man. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Many of your parents have told you, you told mom, I feel stressed. My mental health, me mental came. come on, shake it off. Which one is mental? You, are, you don't have mental health. <laughs> I've heard an African woman say that. 
you don't have mental health in Jesus' name. What? <laughs> I have mental health though. The problem is my mental health healthy. You know, that's the problem. We have so many unhealthy people that need therapy. Therapy is, see, I personally, personally support and endorse therapy, at least that is done by a sound Christian professional, well-trained, best-in-class, but Christian professional. I, I recommend it. In fact, I told the leaders at the ministry that before, <laughs> before we plant this church fully and build the vivified church, all of you, especially if you're in Lugosian, you're the first in line, go through therapy. Everybody, you cleanse, detoxify the nonsense in your head. I will go to, I need it. <laughs> I mean, everybody needs, I mean, not everybody, but I, I, I would recommend if there are things you need to unpack, if there are things you need to understand about yourself, resolve, do better in, you need therapy. And sometimes, some people, it's their pastors that do it for them. And and look, pastors can do a lot. I, don't get me wrong. A lot of pastors can help save lives because we bring not just experience, but the wisdom of God, the counsel of God. But sometimes it helps to have a trained professional whose job is to help you unpack those things, uh, to do that, and especially to help your parents identify out of all those causes we had listed, what exactly is the cocoa? What is the root cause of this problem? Is it unresolved baggage? Is it pride on your part? Is it a value indifference, a, a, a value difference? What is it exactly that is going on with you? So if you can, look, have that done. You know, help them detoxify uh, those messes that they have, uh, if you can. Whatever way you can get it set up, do it. I know some of these things are expensive, but there are some very affordable options out there. Um, if you just Google it, you'll see some very good options where it's very cheap or it's some are even free. All right, so go check those out. Number five, number five, involve a trusted authority figure. Involve a trusted authority figure. Um, and this is where you involve someone where both parties, you know, honor and respect this person. It could be a leader, a mentor, a pastor, a bishop, whatever. But these people reverence and honor this person and that person is able to correct them if you can. And, and look, I'm not saying do it as a snitch. Do it respectfully, do it discreetly so that it doesn't produce the exact opposite results. That, oh, so you went to God, tell Pastor, Pastor Simon, you are just something wrong. You know, no, as much as you can, right? And I've seen this happen. I have a conversation. This is what's happening with my parents, but this has to be discreet. And the pastor calls, um, hello, my son, how are you? How are you? I just wanted to check in on you. Is everything okay with you and your wife? I need to know. Tell me. I don't know. I, 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 I can tell something is off, right? Have a discreet conversation. Have someone who they both respect. Do that. But here's the problem. A lot of parents that I've seen, or people in marriages that are, having a tough time, many times, one or both of them are not submitted to authority. And that's a big problem. Don't you dare marry someone that does not have authority over them where they can be corrected, where they can be guided and counseled. Don't you dare. The consequences will be dire. Don't try it. Don't try it at all. So this is a case where you involve someone, they both respect and honor, an elder, or maybe even the people that took them through marriage counseling before they got married, if they had it, have this person be involved, understand the sensitivity of the problem, and somehow intervene. 
all right not even just their parents alone unless their parents are people that they still honor and respect that that can be the case but anyone with spiritual or fatherly or parental authority over them uh, involve that person that would help a great deal i'm telling you praise the name of jesus thank you lord and number six number six and this is the last one so number one i said what protect your heart right protect your heart number two i said pray for them pray for them because prayer works number three stand with a clear victim number four recommend couples therapy if you can number five involve a trusted um, authority figure number six if ever there's a case where it's just so violent and so abusive and so toxic by the way when i talked about protect your heart in the first place protecting your hearts from your own um, from your parents might mean you leaving the house by the way it might mean you taking time away go to a cousin's house a friend's place just be away from all of that protect yourself you are priority your mental health is priority you're not the savior of your parents marriage don't ever forget that protect yourself at all costs it's okay for you to be selfish in this way you can because they are being selfish you need to protect yourself all right but even with them for the protection of not just their emotions but even of their well-being their physical health and safety sometimes they should consider temporary separation because sometimes when you're in the same space with the person that you cannot just reach some sort of remedy to to your issues you sometimes you need to take a break and it's okay it's okay to take some separation it's okay to leave the house especially when it's abusive and look it helps but the problem I've seen people do is I'll take separation and to them it's some sort of vacation or indefinite suspension where you're just away, you're not doing anything, you're just sleeping, waking up, crying, doing all those things. You're not getting help. I believe if there's going to be ever separation, it should be structured. You should have a solution in, in, in plan, something like that, somewhere where you can get the help that you need. For example, if the problem was on unresolved baggage where someone was addicted to something, they should get the help they need in rehab or counseling to be done with that thing. You need to deal with the problem head on. Not escape from it. Deal with it. So you're leaving to be away from each other for a while to solve the problems. I, f I find far too many parents in this situation be separated and it just becomes an indefinite separation or a divorce. And that's not what it's supposed to be for. Stay away for mutual safety, for both of you to be okay, be, be in a place where you can think and actually make productive progress with your life. But it must be intentional. There must be intentionality. It should be a period of introspection. Where am I wrong? What have I done wrong? What has he done wrong? It should be an, a, a period of troubleshooting. How can I solve these problems? You ask the right questions and develop the right next steps to take. That's what any separation should look like. It, it doesn't always have to resolve in a divorce. You can solve the problem. You can if you get the help you need. And how, how you come to play into this, look, I don't know how, but if there's ever a case where there's domestic violence, get help. Don't wait and say, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to step on anybody's... <clears throat> If there's ever a case of abuse, violence, 
that person needs to be separated. And it could be the other way around. I've seen it happen where it's the woman being violent to the man. There needs to be separation. They need to stay away from each other for that period, but to get better. I hope this has helped. Look, there's so much more that can be done, but I want to just remind you again, see, God can change the story of your family. God can change the story. There's nothing he cannot do. He can. I want to fill your heart with optimism. I've seen it time and time again. I have. And if the people involved decide to say, look, I just want to go my separate ways, that's not the end of their life. It's okay. That's not the end of their life. I know it can hurt, but ultimately we, we, we said all of this because I strongly believe God can change a marriage. God can change relationships for the better. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.